Hello, testing, testing. Okay, there's no screech. I'm just getting a little sensitive regarding that. Today is um, what I consider the most powerful uh, day where we talk about Jesus coming back. And for us to kind of get a picture of what I will be discussing today, I, I brought some visual aids. This visual aid is the Lord's Prayer. Now, the truth is, is that, oh, it's the Lord's Prayer, but this sermon this morning doesn't have anything to do with the Lord's Prayer. It just so happens that I love going to historical places, and the first time that we went to Williamsburg together um, as a family, I purchased this. Um, and I would honestly have brought you the visual aid, but you'll understand in a moment why the real visual aid is not in my possession anymore. Because the second visual aid I have is a puzzle. Now, I did rob the nursery of this puzzle. Um, so this is a five-piece puzzle. And you'll notice that there's one piece that's missing. Well, at one of our times in Williamsburg, we went to um, Jamestown. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jamestown is the very first continuing community uh, that was ever planted in the United States from England. And there were about 100 people. They were called the Virginia uh, Company. And they landed in Jamestown, and it was a continuing settlement uh, from the English. And so, when we were there, I saw this puzzle, and it was commemorating 400 years in 2007. I thought, this is a puzzle I have to have. So I spent probably too much money and bought the puzzle and put it together several years later. So this is about a little over a year ago. I put the puzzle together, and it was, it was a 500 pieces. And there's nothing like putting a big puzzle together, and you're struggling through it, and it takes weeks, and then you finally get to where all of a sudden you got the momentum, and you're finishing up the puzzle. And there was one piece missing. Now, my family can tell you they can tell you that we've come to that place before. We're missing one or two pieces, and, and they just give up. But I scour the house. I think about where that piece could be, and I usually always find those last pieces. But in this case, I could not find that last piece. Um, and it bugged me so much that I put it in the American Rescue Workers barrel. If you go online now and try to find that Jamestown 400-year commemorative puzzle, I can't find it anywhere. So I think I had something pretty special, but um, I just couldn't handle it having, putting together a puzzle and then missing one piece. Now, you can see the whole picture. You can see the whole picture. You can even imagine what's in that little tiny piece. But to have a puzzle with a missing piece was just a little bit too much for me. So I needed that last little piece. Now there is no way that we can compare God to any of our human emotions or thoughts. 
But I'd like us to use this illustration to think about God this morning as he comes to the place where he finishes the puzzle and puts in the very last piece. Now there's something else that this reminded me of, especially uh, like a big puzzle like this. By the way, I do have the missing piece. We were cleaning out our house in Oostburg because I was going to seminary and we sold our house and, and we had some big garage sales and I still remember we had, they were selling these like three foot by four foot huge puzzles for your kids and they were expensive. They were probably like $35, $40 or something like that. And we had one of those. And, uh, you know, I don't know what we were selling it for, maybe five or six bucks. And so I remember a, a father coming up to me and going, hey, are all the pieces in this puzzle? I said, of course. I mean, you know, we, I always make sure the pieces are back in the puzzle box. Every time I do a puzzle with my kids or every time I play a game, I make sure all the pieces are back. And wouldn't you know it, two weeks later, <laughs> in a corner of the house, I found this one piece, and I'm going, oh, those poor people. Now, I'm sure they've forgiven me. That was 2004. Um, but it reminds me of this thing inside of me that remembers this, this missing part. This missing part. And we've been talking about Jesus coming again, and we've been talking about the fact that there are things that he's coming to do. And I did kind of set you up last week um, using a word, and the word is need, because God himself doesn't necessarily need us. And I don't know if there's a human word to describe this, but the reason that we have not seen Jesus come back today is because he wants you, and he wants others. And the reason that Jesus hasn't come back is because there's something about Jesus Christ's glory and the Father's glory that is not yet complete. So it's not a missing piece like you would laugh at Pastor Day. Oh, that's just you being OCD. Okay, you're probably right. God is not OCD. However, there is something about God in eternity that says, I am including you. I'm including you in my oneness, in my kingdom. So what I'd like to do then is just uh, transition. And uh, just lastly, before that, before I really kind of uh, step into the word of God, I want you to think about what you've missed. Okay, so we all have things where we're, we have needs. And we all have places where we've lost things or we have missing parts of us. I still remember the day when Lori and I were sitting and holding Talitha. Uh, we knew when Lori was going to give birth to Talitha that she was already dead and that she had no life. Uh, but because you, the baby was in Lori and the baby had to come out of Lori, um, we had to actually go through a birthing process knowing the emptiness that was going to come on the other side of it. And there are losses that are big, like that one. Maybe some of you have lost your spouse or you've lost a parent or you've lost a child. These are huge losses. 
And maybe some of you are dealing with a disability. Um, or you have a special need. These are all areas where when we one day get to experience God, these will have no place. None. No place in our experience. Why? Because that experience will be God. So if you would, um, I hope you have bulletins. So in the bulletins, we have verses. I actually printed out some. Uh, these scripture passages, we're going to go through three passages this morning. These just are really important that you can see them and look at them. I will tell you what they are if you have your Bible and you don't have a bulletin. Um, we're going to begin this morning in Isaiah, but actually I, I printed them out, but they're sitting on the copier right now and they have to be cut in two, so we're just going to ignore that. Um, this is Zechariah chapter 14. On that day, beginning with verse 6, there shall be no light, cold, or frost. This is a great winter verse. <laughs> no cold, no frost. I was coming out of Wegmans yesterday in my shorts and shirt and jacket because I'd just been at the YMCA and a lady looked at me and she goes, are we a little cold this evening? <laughs> and she said, well, I'm a, I'm a little sarcastic, so don't be offended by it. I said, I'm not. I'm from Wisconsin. She goes, oh, that explains it. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither, a day, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. So in this day, when the Lord comes back, there will be a unique day. In other words, there will not be any more days like you and I know them. Because the day will be the same as the night. On that day... Living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. So Jesus is coming again. There are three, three distinctives here, and I'd like to do some interaction. So the first distinctive is that there will be a unique day. So what do you see there? Why will the day be unique? Okay, so there's no darkness. There's no darkness. Right. That was the easy one because I already gave you the answer. The second one is it will have living water flowing. Now, okay, Birgit, now you've answered twice. So now I have to, uh, now, now, now you're, you're going to have to just kind of be silent for a little bit, okay? You don't have to be sorry. You're keeping everybody awake. Okay, so Berger said that there's no water flowing from Jerusalem. Is, is that totally true? Look at, look at the scripture. It says something very unique. From being from Southern California, I know exactly what this is talking about. What else does it say there? Living water, yeah. So the distinction here is that it's living. Well, this is um, very valuable to the first century believers because there they actually talked about baptizing in living water, which meant that it had to be flowing from a source somewhere that was organic. And it couldn't be like put in a container. Living water. 
which only can come from our God, something else. Summer. Now, why is that important? The reason it's important is because water will run in Jerusalem during the rainy season. Now, I lived in Southern California, and they say it never rains in Southern California. Well, that's not totally true. It does rain. Now, sometimes it doesn't rain as much, but it will rain, and the months it'll rain in are December and January and February. <laughs> and in, in December and January and February, you better watch out, because for nine months, you've been driving on these roads, and you're going, why aren't there any houses here? And it's a little bit of a gully, and you see just, um, there is no vegetation. You just see a quarter mile of nothing, and you just pass right through it. But during the rainy season, when it rains in the mountains, it comes into the valley. So God's telling us that this winter and summer thing isn't going to happen when the Lord comes again. It will always have flowing, living water. And the last distinctive. It will have unique leadership. And uh, this is in the last part of the verse. And what will that unique leadership be? Yeah, so Jesus will be king. Our Lord will be king. Now, why is that unique? We have kings today. And Jesus is king today, isn't he? We can sing king of kings and lord of lords. So what's unique about this day? The, he will be here and the earth will recognize his kingship and have to recognize his kingship. So it's not just that he is king because he's king now. The whole earth will recognize his kingship. Very cool. Yes. So these are just three distinctives. And what I'd like to do now is bring in this last verse. And the last verse says this, on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Now, I don't know what version you have, but this, what, this version that I have used right here is exactly what the verse says. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name, one. He will be one, and his name, one. Well, as we've talked in this time about Zechariah, I've used this idea of universal health. And if we think in terms of that God created the universe, and that God created the earth, and God created us, and God created supernatural creatures, right? angels and demons, and he created all animal life and vegetation, all of creation. Um, I talk in terms of universe. He also created all the stars and all the heavenly bodies, all the planets. So universal health means, and I made your bulletin really easy this week, means God will be one and his work will be done. Now, this is actually, it's really not completely theologically true, but I know that I can make you remember this. Okay, so can you repeat after me? 
Um, you don't have to repeat a universal health means, but I'm going to say universal health means, and then you'll say God will be one and his work will be done. Okay, so universal health means God will be one and his work will be done. God will be one and his work will be done. So when you get out to the parking lot, and you always forget, I know what Pastor Dale says. I, I, I want you to remember, God will be one and his work will be done. Now we actually have a great picture of this. It's called the Sabbath. Because we're told that God created in six days, and on the seventh day, what he did was he set apart a day saying, my work's done. So we already had a picture, and we knew that his work was done, but this day, he can actually say, yeah, it's done. It's done. It's declared. And I have to say that when we're talking about God being one, I kind of set you up last week. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I talked about Jesus transforms us. God transforms us. And I talked in terms of, of Zechariah terms that he vindicates our hurt. He, he fights for us. He has an army that fights for us and is going to complete our battle. And he delivers us. Remember those things from the scripture last week. And I, and I dropped that word, the need conversation. So I, I hope you were gracious in that and there was no fighting, okay? Um, but this is a really, really important thing that God would, that God would look at us and see all of our deficiencies and say, I'm going to make them whole. That he would see all creation and see all of its deficiency and say, I'm going to make this creation whole from beginning to end. And God created so that he could be one. One with all of his creation. Now I'd like you to use two verses this morning. This is, I, I know Lori always warns me, don't, don't say you're finishing your message because people get bad ideas and then you talk too long. But I got two scriptures here. We're going to look at them and we're going to just grab something out of them. I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 12. I just love this verse. And this comes from the Old Testament. Jesus is actually quoting the Old Testament here. Jesus is answering because he's on the hot seat. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is... One. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So what does this passage tell us about the oneness of God? What does this passage tell us about the oneness of God? Can I get some more ideas? And so Wayne, you're kind of on, you're kind of off the grid too because you've answered twice, and Birgit, you're off the grid because you've answered twice. You got your A's already. I got it marked in the book. So what does this passage tell us about the oneness of God? Believe me, whatever you say, I'll, I'll, I'll make it right. I'll, 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 I mean, he's complete, and that completion shows itself in, in, in us. Okay, so look, look, look at what this verse is saying. 
Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. Now, you could look at this as a rule. You better do it. Okay? You better do it. I got my paddle here. You better do it. But I think if we look from God's standpoint, God's saying, you can do it. I can do something that activates you in a way that you can love me. Okay? Something else. Sweetheart, you're always right. Right, right. So all of us, oneness, all of us can love God. And then we're as love sourced in God. Janice. Yeah, so... So good. So there's another message in there is what Janice is talking about because really, without God's Spirit, we couldn't do any of this. We can't love God without His Spirit. His Spirit, and His Spirit is hidden. The Spirit of God is hidden in this passage and it'll be hidden in the next one too as we take this another level forward. The last part of this is that God gives us the ability to love Him out of our whole being, our one being, Right? Not just to love him, but because we actually are, can be activated by him to love him, we can also be activated by him to love each other. And, you know, I'm, I'm human and I've lived a long time, so I've heard all kinds of things like, well, um, I love you, but I don't know. And then I don't know if I can like you. Yeah. Or, I love you because I, I have to, or God tells me to love you, so I'm going to love you. Um, but I'm, I'm, I know, I'm, I know my, enough about myself, so I'm not going to have a conversation with you. <laughs> right? Well, that's not love. But what God does, because he's one, and because he's love, is he activate, activates true love for us to love one another. Okay, those two things. I, kinda, I didn't want to get this backwards, but I thought we'd start with that. So there is a oneness alignment of our being that comes from God and his love. Now, one last thing here, and that is because I've heard this conversation. Look at this, these verses. When it says, you shall love your neighbor... Uh-oh, Judy, I just about... No, we're good. Um, when it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, this is not separate from God's oneness. Okay, so we, we can't say, well, I have to love myself first. Really, the loving myself is because myself is loving God. Therefore, it is the love of God that's making me able to love God. So therefore, when it's talking about myself, I can't be separated from God here. Does that make sense? I, I mean, are you totally confused? Kathy's confused. Okay, 
So, so um, this is me. I, um, I love riding bikes. I loved riding bikes as a kid. And as a kid, um, my parents loved, my mother loved for me in summer to be out of the house. And she, she was glad for me to have a bike. And she was glad for me to be out of the house until supper. You had to be back home for supper. Um, but there were some things with, that I did with my bike and places that I went with my bike that I should not have gone. <laughs> okay? Because there's something in me that isn't God. And that's a really benign example. But here's why I say that. Because when I am loving God with all my heart, mind, and soul, I am in alignment with God. So the yourself it's talking about there is a yourself that's in alignment with God and loving God. So you're not saying I love my neighbor as myself. without. You're actually saying I love my neighbor as I love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, last verse. This is the last verse. Sweetheart that they may be all be one. So this is John 17, that they may be all be one, just as you. Father are in me, and I in you. And they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, and they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Now, when you look at this passage, and I'm, I'm not going to ask questions now, okay? So now you've got to kind of write your notes. But I'm going I'm to ask the question, I'm going to answer it. What does this passage tell us about the oneness and the glory of God? So God gives three, there's three things here that Jesus is revealing to us that are identifiers. Remember, number one, I believe that we have a God who created all things and created us. So you are uniquely created. Now we're finding out that you aren't just uniquely created, but you are uniquely created for your God. Okay, so look at these three distinctives. Number one, he talks about oneness. Jesus says that you and I are one, we have been one, and like we're one, I have brought these creatures into us to become one. Okay? So that... So one of the distinctives is the oneness of God that is seen in Jesus and the Father. Now, where's the Holy Spirit? Okay, Jenny, you're right. And if we're looking at this verse, Jesus doesn't say the Father, you and I are one, and the Spirit are one. He doesn't say that. Where's the Spirit? Jenny already said that, Jane. Yes, he is in us. And she's right, and you're right. But that's not the answer I'm looking for. 
Where's the spirit here with Jesus? He's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on the Mountain of Olives. And he's crying out to God. He says, as you and I are one, um, and I'm going to make us one with these, these chosen that I've chosen, So, this is, this is just me being a pastor. The Holy Spirit's behind the scenes. You find the Holy Spirit behind the scenes many times. But the truth is, is that we could not be one with the Father and the Son without the Spirit of God. This is why Jesus taught us in John 3 that, hey, you've got to be born again. This is, the, this is the identifier. This is the thing that happens that takes this thing that's physical and makes it spiritual. You have to have the Holy Spirit to be one. God knows that. He's just in the background right now. Okay, oneness. The second thing is you see the love of God. So at the very beginning, I am one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I am one in the very beginning. I also am love. And you can't separate my oneness from my love. It is birthing everything I do and say. His oneness and his love, there there aren't priorities here. They are equal and they're coexistent. Number two. And then number three, the glory of God. Now this, kind, this is where we kind of rack ourselves. How in the world does God include us in his glory? Is there any glory in you? Okay, don't answer. I'm making you think. Is there any glory in you? Well, yeah, there is glory in you. It's what Jesus Christ did when he created you. But the ultimate glory in you was to be the creature that he designed you to be. And that is why we celebrate around the bread and the cup his death. So here's what God does. So let me just quick read through this passage again. And Lori says, Please, Dale, just read the passage again. Let it sink in. So I'm going to do that. I'm, um, my wife is, she is very, very helpful um, to my messages. Now, so let's look at these verse, this verse again, these verses. That they may all be one. Who's that? Us. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. His glory is part of oneness. See that? I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So if we show ourselves to be one, it's actually just showing ourselves to be part of the one who is one the one God who is one, okay? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Oneness of God, love of God, glory of God, they're all tied together. Now, again, please, when you're having conversations, especially you guys in the sermon response, be gracious, okay? This is for you to think through. Very important. The oneness of God and the fullness of the glory of God incorporates us. Our 
us becomes him. Our us becomes him. Where's my puzzle piece? Did I put it out in front? Did I hide it? Oh no, I really lost it now. This is... There's something really important to God about whatever He has to do in creation. He's not going to stop. He's not going to come back until He's completely finished. Completely. So that He can show Himself to be who He really is, Lord and King. So if He would have come back 70 years ago before I was born, there's something, it's not because there's something inherently in me, but there's something that he is still has to do and, and reveal about himself so that his glory could be ultimate. His glory is made greater because he could take this thing called creation and redeem it back to him. Now, this is sensitive stuff. This doesn't mean that I am like, you know, I am like the, I'm great because God's waiting for me. But this tells us something about Jesus. That he would do this great work and that he's going to make sure that everything has to happen first. And it is the ultimate glory of God. In creation, this is Romans 8, that he would redeem us and make us one with him completely and one with Jesus. Okay, I've give you a, given you a lot to think about. Um, Margaret talked about singing and not losing momentum or losing a song. I, I love this first song they sang, Oh, Praise Him. Or was it the second song you sang? And um, I actually would have, I, so I grabbed some words up on the stage, but they had every song except for that one. I love that Bill read that scripture passage from Revelation because, and, and in that song, there is like this different kind of picture of what heaven's like. Like this activity that's going on around the throne, angels, and, and, and kind of like an eternal character. This stuff is happening. This is happening now, but it will be happening with us one day. Why? Because our God is one, and he's decided to include us. And Romans 8 tells us that he will bring along all creation with the redemption of the sons of humankind. We are Jesus' first fruits. So I hope that doesn't make you arrogant. I hope that uh, elevates Christ and solely elevates Christ. But it is one of the things that uh, makes me remember and think about the second coming of Christ. Um, so, uh, Bill, if you'd come. What I'd like to do now is um, do a transition a little bit, and we're going to have to do the offering. But if you think about this, God made himself vulnerable. 
to include us. This makes God vulnerable. God made himself vulnerable in Jesus Christ because he had to take on a body for us. But, we're, but it's very valuable to him. And it's for his glory. And it's for his glory. So when we celebrate, Bill, please come forward, Margaret. When we celebrate um, Jesus, his life and his death together, we really are declaring the oneness of God to which he passionated for.